At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. W-A-B-E in Atlanta. I'm Lois Reitzes, and this is City Lights. Thanks for listening as we begin another week of quarantine. Comfort can be found with a reminder that beauty remains in our world. Filmmaker Felipe Barral created one-minute video streaming in a series called Bella, originally meant for patients and workers in chemotherapy and dialysis centers. The series is now online for all to observe moments of quiet beauty and reduce stress. Laughter is a powerful antidote to stress, as Paula Poundstone knows well, the popular comedian and a favorite panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me shares her trademark clever humor with us later this hour. First, we are fundraising today, but please stay with us as we're keeping these breaks very short, and that way we'll get back to the show as quickly as possible. Please help pay for City Lights if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Joining me is WABE Operations Manager Kevin Rinker. wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Your donation right now will help everyone continue to benefit from the trusted news and cultural offerings that WABE delivers every day. Today, we're fundraising with our community partner, The Giving Kitchen, so your one donation will also cover the cost of a day's worth of utilities for a food service worker in crisis. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks to you, to Giving Kitchen, and to Cisco Atlanta for their help. wabe.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. Thinking back over the last two months, City Lights has been a respite from the coronavirus news, but... As it's our daily reality, we've also focused on how the pandemic affects arts and cultural life in our city. Help us keep you informed and entertained at wabe.org donate. Or call 678-553-9090. We need your help, and that's why we need to hear from you right now. Many of our listeners typically give $15 a month. But please give what you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. We're returning to City Lights in about 30 seconds. Thanks to everyone who's helped us today. We need you too. Please give at 678-553-9090. Or at wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple of minutes to give. If you're still on the fence about giving, please consider a one-time gift of $50 or $100 or $365. You know what you can afford, but the key right now, we need you. Please play a part at wabe.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. 
Since 1978, Atlanta music lovers have welcomed the month of May for its 31 days of free jazz concerts throughout the city. This year, the Atlanta Jazz Festival has been postponed due to the pandemic, but that doesn't mean the music has stopped. Camille Russell-Love is the executive director of the Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs. She joins us now via Zoom. Welcome back to City Lights. Thank you, Lois, for having me, and I hope you are well. I am, and you and your family, too. Thank you. Now, you have said that despite the circumstances, we couldn't let 31 days of jazz go by without a celebration. Please tell us about adapting the festival for the virtual realm. For quite a few years, we've been doing something called 31 Days of Jazz. It has been a marketing effort to promote jazz around the city leading up to the annual festival in Piedmont Park. And it has been a mix of jazz performances at MARTA stations and parks and museums and bars. And we thought that we should not let the month of May not have jazz every day of the month as we've had in the past. So what we did was we created something called the Atlanta Jazz Festival Sessions. And it is a 30-minute performance every night at 9 o'clock on the Atlanta Jazz Festival's Facebook page that features one local jazz musician or ensemble. It was a way for us to ensure that the local jazz community had a gig because a lot of them lost gigs. <laughs> Quite a few of them has, have lost gigs. And so we made an arrangement with one of our cultural partners in the city, the Atlanta Music Project, where we could actually use their facility to record most of the sessions. And then on a nightly basis, we'll be again having them live on um, Facebook at nine o'clock. Oh, that's wonderful. We are great admirers of Dante Ramo and the Atlanta Music Project, and in fact, just spoke with him recently. Will any of those student musicians take part? No, unfortunately, they don't focus on jazz. Um, but you know, we were we were really happy that Dante agreed to allow us to uh, utilize the facility because it gives us a space where we can control the quality of the performance, and that there was a space where the musicians could come in and socially distance their performances. So it has worked out very well. We're almost close to the 31 artists that we need to complete the 31 days of jazz. Camille, this is very ambitious. 30-minute videos of jazz artists, these sessions require major production values. How are you achieving this? Well, fortunately, we have had a lot of experience producing jazz. And so what we knew is that we'd need a drum kit. <laughs> we'd need a video, <laughs> someone to record it. And we've also added, you know, mics and some audio quality. The biggest thing was really scheduling the musicians to come in. They have like a total hour of uh, time. They come in, they get 15 minutes to set up, 30 minutes to perform, and then 15 minutes for them to break down. And then we clean up before the next musician or band comes in. So it has worked surprisingly like clockwork. And when you say get a gig, does that mean that these musicians are being paid? Absolutely. You know, why not pay them? You know, this is a lot of creatives across the city in, in all kinds of genres of, of art and culture have lost opportunities to perform, to present, to show their craft and, and to have an income. And so, again, this is one of the many ways that at the Mayor's Office of Cultural Affairs through the city of Atlanta, that we're ensuring that 
the Atlanta art community has access to some income during this uh, terrible time. What has been the reception you've had so far to the digital sessions? Well, one beautiful thing is that Jazz Times Magazine, which is a national publication, which has a national Facebook following, has picked up the Atlanta Jazz Festival session. So we're getting not just the Atlanta audience, but we're also getting a national audience. So I have logged in every evening and have participated. And I think the first night we had about a thousand followers to, you know, be part of it. And it has been consistent um, nightly. Are there any plans to do live streaming concerts in addition to the pre-recorded sessions? Not at this time. That's a little more challenging. What we're working on, Lois, is really trying to see if we can find a suitable time to actually have the jazz festival. Oh, I know there are so many unknowns. I mean, first we hear maybe June, Mm -hmm. maybe the summer. And I know some people are hoping the fall will bring a return to some semblance of normal, but we just don't know yet. No, we don't know. You know that the mayor has called a special task force that is making recommendations to her about how we go about reopening the city. And so from the point of view of the Atlanta Jazz Festival, we're waiting for guidance relative to that. So hopefully we'll make a positive announcement soon and hopefully there Atlanta will return to some semblance of normalcy. Can you tell us just a few musicians you'd like to highlight in the sessions? You know, I will do that, but I don't want any of the other artists to feel that I don't love them as, you know, equally. But we've got some amazing talent in Atlanta. One artist who will be performing, her name is Carla Harris, and we had already scheduled her for the jazz festival uh, that would have been over Memorial Day weekend. And she is doing a pre-recorded session because she couldn't get to the actual Atlanta Music Project site. But Brenda Nicole Moore or Kathleen Bertrand and Julie Dexter are some of the singers along with Tony Hightower. We've got Lil John Roberts, who is a extraordinary drummer who has played with the likes of Janet Jackson and Stevie Wonder. And he'll be pulling together a group of his friends to perform. Mace Hibbert, will be performing. Joe Gramsden has already done his performance along with Kenny Banks Sr. And then Kenny Banks Jr. also did a performance. So, I mean, it it has been a beautiful project to pull together. And the performances that are being captured will stand the test of time as what the Atlanta jazz community was doing while the rest of the world was social distancing and sheltering in place. You have said that delivering entertainment is just one part of the festival's goal. What else is the Atlanta Jazz Festival providing us now? If the festival happens, then we are planning to have some educational sessions this year, which we're really excited about. We also are working with the visual arts community to identify visual artists who have jazz or music themed artwork. And they will be um, set, we'll set them up in a special village at the jazz festival. And we also are working with some other artists to design some special t-shirt editions for the festival. So we're making our plans with the hopes that again, we'll get a positive situation moving forward, but that's where we are. Camille, we last saw each other at the Alvin Ailey Dance Theater performance in February, and that feels like it was years ago, maybe even in another world. I am so glad we could have this virtual visit. I look forward to when we can see each other at another arts event, hopefully the Atlanta Jazz Festival. Thank you for all you do for the arts in Atlanta. We look forward to 
your audience, you know, listening in. Camille Russell Love is the executive director of the city of Atlanta's mayor's office of cultural affairs. For more information on the virtual jazz sessions, visit our website, wabe.org slash City Lights. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. We're in our spring member drive, but things are sounding different as our breaks are very short. So stay with us and please help if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Joining me now is WABE's operations manager, Kevin Rinker. WABE.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Your donation will help pay for great shows like City Lights. But today we're also fundraising with our community partner, The Giving Kitchen. Your one donation right now will cover the cost of a day's worth of utilities for a food service worker in crisis. Please give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks to you, to Giving Kitchen, and to Cisco Atlanta. wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thinking back over the past two months, WABE City Lights has informed you about the impact of the pandemic on our arts community, reminding us of the continuing role of arts and culture in our daily lives. Your donation right now will help us continue this important programming. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate. Or call 678-553-9090. Did you know that 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community? It's why we need your help right now. Many of our listeners give about $15 a month, but please give what you feel you can afford at wabe.org slash donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. City Lights is 30 seconds away. Thank you so much to everyone who's donated today. Now we'd like to hear from you. Call 678-553-9090. Or go to wabe.org slash donate because it only takes a couple of minutes to give. A sustaining gift of $15 a month is the best way to support us, but you can also make a one-time gift in whatever amount you can afford. We need your help, so please give at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Bella is related to the Italian, Spanish, Greek, Portuguese, and Latin words for beautiful. Bella also is the name for a streaming service of Felipe Baral. Felipe Baral, welcome to City Lights. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Lois. Please tell us about the origin of your project. Yeah, well, as you well described, you know, Bella, you know, from Italian or Spanish, you know, has to do with beautiful things. And really, for a long time in all my career telling stories, I've been very much, you know, always in awe of beauty, always trying to bring beauty to to my artwork and also to people to enjoy. And I've seen the benefits also of beauty. And I think the first idea for Bella to stream beautiful content that in this case also has to do with healthcare 
was, you know, when I was traveling, doing all my documentaries and, and productions and always coming back with these beautiful, gorgeous shots that I always thought, you know, I, I wish I can hang this in the world. <laughs> and, you know, with monitors and TV, you can hang them on the wall, right? So that was sort of the beginning of what Bella started to be. But later on, really started adding all the benefits of, you know, what we needed in terms of a new way of telling stories and a new type of content for what I call share spaces. And that's, you know, screens that we're seeing in all the share spaces like hotels, lobbies, you know, airports, and specifically hospitals. So that's sort of the foundation of where my idea to do something based on beauty first, not only on narration or sound, but beauty, uh, gorgeous cinematography. So you actually worked for CNN for 20 years or so, wasn't it? Yes, I did. I was lucky that I was, I'm originally from Chile. So I started freelancing for CNN in 97 when I was still in college. So a friend of mine applied to be the correspondent at the time for CNN Espanol. And then um, he called me and said, hey, they're looking for a producer as well. So, <laughs> you know, that was the first time that actually I thought about CNN. And that took me my career with CNN, where I spent four years freelancing, both in Chile and in Argentina. And they offered me a position later on in the U.S. So I came here to the U.S. in 2001. And, you know, until the end of 2017, I was with CNN. And since 2009 onwards, I was on what I really wanted it in terms of the high quality, long form storytelling on the special teams for both CNN Espanol and CNN International. And you have a very specific approach to storytelling. Would you tell us your philosophy of storytelling? <laughs> yes, uh, I created my own creative production philosophy in a style, if you will. First and foremost comes from, from my own artistic experience. Ever since I was a little kid, I started discovering that I can express myself in different disciplines of the arts. So I was drawn to, you know, painting and, and doing something with my hands. And eventually, you know, I moved into poetry and I started writing a lot of poetry. And eventually, you know, moved into music as well. And I started realizing that in every single, you know, discipline, I could express myself but also in my characters instead of sort of moving around from one to the other so they were colors but they turn into characters and the characters turn into musical notes so all of that informed my understanding of the visual language and the audiovisual language so every story that i create has i'm always telling this to people that i that i tell the story in layers and so i'm telling you the story in in, in narration with the script that i'm writing uh, but I'm also telling you the story in the visual aspect, and I'm also telling you the story with the music. So in a lot of my projects, you hear my music as the score, and you see my visuals, and you see my writing on the script. So moving into audiovisual storytelling and, and filmmaking and, and cinematography was very obvious as a choice at, at the end, because my, my writing can be my, my script, my music can be the score, and my visuals now move. So, you know, yeah. Funny that, you know, one of the first projects that I did combining them in Chile was a book of poetry where I combined poetry with photography. But I considered that my first film because I took over a thousand photos, 1500 photos for a book that had 54 photographs and 54 poems. But if you play that whole role, that will be sort of my first, <laughs> my first film with all the negatives, if you will. <laughs> These one minute Bellows, <laughs> Bellows, as you call it. <laughs> One-minute meditations, if you will. Yeah. You do not include any music. There's just ambient noise. Why right. did you decide to approach the Bellows with no music? <laughs> yeah, and, and that's part of sort of the branding of Bella, if you will, of the play on words. You know, the, the videos are called Bellows, <laughs> so beautiful videos. Uh, so hopefully people can share Bellows with each other. But, uh, but you're right, um, part of the whole vision for Bella um, is to include uh, a very kind of, you know, organic way of, of playing with the content. And the first part of that is that if you're looking at the ocean, you have that natural sound, the waves. And that's a very mesmerizing sound, especially with water in this case, because water is one of the most soothing noises or, or sounds in nature for human beings. Uh, so it's calming. So the choice for the full vision of Bella, and I have to say Bella now, which is 
started to release it as an early rollout of the whole platform. Uh, and that's why we only have for now the one minute videos out and not the full version. Because in the full version, you're gonna be able to see the whole experience in, in the sense of you might see this one minute video of the ocean to give the same example. But then you wanna watch the entire sunset, if you will, if it's a sunset. And so you can go to Bella and find the long version of that same shot. And then you can have the natural sound with it, or you can choose to start playing with the music that we want to use on that, that we're suggesting for that particular moment. You might not like the music, so you can change the music. So initially, you, you created this project. You created Bella to provide in chemotherapy centers, dialysis mm -hmm. centers. And would the hospitals have purchased this video service from you? After two years of the research, and we have in the tech startup world, they call it the MVP or the minimum viable product. So you, you go and you build something, you prove the hypothesis, and then you deliver something that people can watch and see, but it still maybe doesn't have all the features and bells and whistles you want, right? It's the same idea as an entrepreneur to build something that really people want to buy, <laughs> as opposed to just building something that you really want and nobody buys. <laughs> so, uh, because you know, you have to go to the resources and, and the investment that you do on this. So we developed the MVP to go to have this conversation. So we are in the middle of having those conversations to, as you said, buy the service. And we recognize the business model for Bella in that sense is sort of the subscription-based model especially in this world of OTT and over-the-top sort of streaming platforms that you see everywhere, and, and especially the big players like Disney and Apple, you know, and all the, the Netflixes of the world. But there's, there's this chance for actually go with the same technology and offer something like this. So um, in that case, you know, uh, the, the conversation with hospitals particularly has been that, you know, we can even go in, in a lower sort of price point to what they pay for subscription for just to have two channels on the infusion centers and offer a better experience, which is also customized experience and offer them the ability to actually block all the other publicity that they might have. Ah, but for now, the one minute bellows yes. you are offering, are they free for anyone to they, view during COVID-19? They are. And that was sort of my call. You know, every entrepreneur that is trying to do something, in this case, me trying to bring beauty to people, is not limited really to the first targeted audience that we wanted it. Uh, we have the, the early rollout available for people. And I'm not a doctor. I'm not in the hospitals, you know, fighting the infection and, and working with patients. So I was looking at myself and looking at what we're doing as a team and, and in my career and say, well, what can I do to help besides helping my community and my neighbor, and my family members? And my idea was really that we needed to give this for free to reach out not only healthcare workers that need something to get their minds away from the daily struggles of what they are facing right now, but also to everybody. Atlanta filmmaker and producer Felipe Barral. His daily Bella can be found on the Facebook page at bella.streaming. This is City Lights. I'm Lois Reitzes. Welcome to our spring member drive. Do stay with us as we're keeping these fundraising breaks very short. Please help support WABE if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Kevin Rinker's joining me. He's WABE's operations manager. Call 678-553-9090 or go to wabe.org slash donate. Your help right now paves the way for us to keep giving you trusted information with no rant, no slant. We'll also continue to be your source for arts and culture. Today we're fundraising with our community partner, The Giving Kitchen, so your one donation right now will also cover the cost of a day's worth of utilities for a food service worker in crisis. Please give at wabe.org donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks to you, The Giving Kitchen, and to Cisco Atlanta. wabe.org donate or 
Call 678-553-9090. Throughout the pandemic, the WABE newsroom has produced amazing local stories, and we've launched a new coronavirus podcast, Did You Wash Your Hands? And every day here on City Lights, we bring you the creative voices that make Atlanta shine and address arts and culture during quarantine. Your donation makes all of this possible. Please give right now at wabe.org slash donate. Or call 678-553-9090. You know how much you can give, but if you're able to make a contribution of $1,200 or more, you'll become a Cornerstone member. Your generosity will allow us to deliver great programming and will continue to be a trusted source of information. Please give if you're able at the Cornerstone level wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. City Lights is about 30 seconds away. Thank you for your help. Please give at 678-553-9090. Or go to wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a couple of minutes to give. And if you can't commit to a monthly sustaining gift, consider a one-time gift of $50 or $100 or $365. You know what you can afford, but the key right now is we need you. Please play a part at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. There was no global pandemic when Dr. Seuss wrote, From there to here, from here to there, funny things are everywhere. Finding humor in the most dire situations can help us gain perspective and provide welcome distraction. Comedian Paula Poundstone is an expert. She's still putting out new episodes of her podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone. She was scheduled to perform at the Buckhead Theater this past March, but has since postponed her tour. Earlier this year, I spoke with Paula from NPR West. She talked about her podcast and shared this story about her conversation with the CEO of the Cyber Defense Group. It's a comedy podcast, but we do, you know, in each episode, usually anyways, we bring on somebody who has information that is, uh, you know, helpful to get through life with. And so, yeah, I mean, I wanted to know. I mean, I've been using my cat's names for passwords, and people have told me that's not a good idea. But what they don't realize is I have 12 cats. (laughs) I was wondering what you were up to. Yeah, in fact, that's why I have 12 cats, is just for every time I get hacked, I have to get another kitten. Aha. Well, so what did the CEO offer? He actually said you don't have to change your password. I asked him, I said, how often are you supposed to change your password? Because I had always understood that this was an important part of keeping the hackers at bay. And he said, you should change your password every time you get hacked. Uh, Uh, But outside of that, you don't need to. All right. As I said, we bring on different people with with information that is just sort of helpful for living. For example, somebody to talk about, you know, starting a small business, or we had somebody, uh, there's been 84 episodes, so I don't remember all of it, but let's see. My favorite one, I think, ever, because the information stuck in my head, was a plumber. We had a plumber. Joe the plumber? Uh, It wasn't Joe the plumber. In fact, it was a woman. But, uh, you know, she said... Two things. One thing is that you should not put Kleenex in your toilet. Yes. uh, Because it's a thicker weave, a tighter weave, and it doesn't disperse as well as toilet paper. And the other thing she said is that you should regularly pour hot water down your drains. Really? Yeah. It's changed my life. (laughs) Um, And that was, I mean, she was on over a year ago, and I still remember that. But if you ask me what the person said that was there a week ago, I, I, I likely don't remember. But somehow the the purity, the simplicity, and the value of what the plumber had to say has just always stuck with me. I really admire your having people on from all walks of life because it must take a lot of prep. And, and it shows a certain 
self-confidence on your part in what you will ask them. My original idea for this podcast was something called How to Move Out of Your Parents' House. And I meant that metaphorically as well as literally. And we never used that name, but that's still the sort of driving force behind who I have on, which is what do I need to know to function as an adult? (laughs) And I don't need to know how all the plumbing works, although it might be nice, but I do need to know not to put Kleenex down there. There you go. You're a life coach. Yeah, it is a little life coachy. Um, not quite as hand-holding. Uh, but, of course, the main function of the podcast is to be funny, and I like to think we pull that off. It's me and my partner, Adam Felber. Oh, yes. And uh, we make with the jokes, and it's fun. I mean, that's I want people to go away feeling like, you know, they got a laugh and a little bit of information, and, and, and then the deal is sealed. You and Adam are a winning combination. Thank you. Did you meet on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or did you know each other before? No, we met on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And Adam was in New York when we first started working. You know, when I first came to that show, he was still living in New York. And then he moved out to Los Angeles. And, you know, on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, in the beginning, and I've been there for 18 years, I think, when I first came on board, we didn't work in front of a, a live audience. Mm-hmm. Um, we all were in a studio uh, where closest to wherever we lived. So Peter Sagal, the host, was in Chicago. Carl Castle, who was the announcer and scorekeeper at the time, was in Washington. Adam was in New York. I was in L.A., etc. So when Adam came out to L.A., we happened to be on the same show at one time. So we were both in an L.A. studio together, which is how we how we met, and we became friends. Uh, My kids and I used to go over and visit him and his wife, and then one day, you know, we still knew each other mostly, uh, you know, mostly through work, but we had this also social relationship, and I asked him one day if he would take my son to his hockey lesson for me because I I had to be on the road, and, and my nanny didn't have enough hands. That's a Uh, major step in a friendship. That is a major step. I know people talk about helping you move, you know, the person who has the truck who gets asked to help move or or pick you up at the airport. None of these hold a candle to, will you take my son? And and if only you knew my son, you know how challenging what I was asking him was. It was, uh, I would say that categorically it's right near... Will you donate a kidney to me? And uh, anyways, he did it, and that sealed the deal right there. It did. How did you first become involved in Wait, Wait? In the most boring of ways, they called me up and asked me, and I had never heard of the show, which I'm sure they hate it when I say, but the truth is it's grown a lot over the years. So they sent, this tells you how long ago it was, they sent me an audio cassette tape. And it was on the island in my kitchen for the longest time because I knew that's what was going to happen with that silly island thing in the kitchen. Stuff just piled up there. And uh, one day I had a nanny. We were standing in the kitchen and he said, what is this? Uh, And I said, oh, it's a thing from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. He said, oh, I love that show. Uh Uh, And so it was really based on my nanny's advice. He said, you should do that. And so that's why I went ahead and and did it. And it was, as I said, it was different back then than, than it came to be shortly after I joined the group. You know, once they started in front of a live audience, the audience is, is like, a, like another performer that you're listening to over the radio. You There's know, just, synergy. Yeah, it really added it really added a big element to it. And, they, and we have the greatest audiences too. It's as if, it's as if they're hand-picked. Public radio listeners. Public radio listeners are great. What more could you ask for? I know that if one makes a mistake in terms of grammar, oh dear, that they can get a little yeah, testy. But other than that, they're great. The, the grammar police are always out there in public radio, but they keep us on our toes. Speaking of grammar, in your podcast, you have a word of the week, and you do it through song. Well, I tell the word of the week and then I add it to my vocabulary song. My original plan was that I would have this vocabulary song that contained every word, 
you know, and so it would just get a longer and longer song. And then I don't know how many words in I was before I realized that will be really difficult to listen to. <laughs> War and uh, peace in this song. Well, exactly. So eventually I started, uh, you know, I do about f- maybe five words and, and then they drop off. But we actually, speaking of, uh, of listener contributions, we have a listener who sent us a vocabulary song where she literally used in the song... And by the way, a lot more harmoniously and, and beautifully than I. My song is not, as Adam always says, is not really replicable. It, it's a little uh, dissonant. But we had a woman who sent in a vocabulary song using every word that we've had as a vocabulary word. And it was fabulous. You see, there is nothing like a public radio listener. It's true. Uh, I mean, this woman could do this for a living. And here she is, you know, sending it to... You know, goofy, nobody listens to Paula Poundstone. You know, the weird thing about vocabulary words, and part of the reason I started the song is, you know, I, I can learn the word, and I've tried, you know, using study cards, you know, to memorize. There's a difference between learning the word and blending it into one's own vocabulary. Yes. Uh, and I'm not good at that at all. So it may well be that, for example, our president... He may be a vocabulary genius. <laughs> he just haven't blended those words in yet. <laughs> Paula, in addition to your vivacious humor, you are also known for your vibrant suits and ties. Would you tell us about your choice of fashion? Well, you know, a few years back, I was making some CDs, you know, performance CDs, and there's the cover art issue. So I was doing one that was called I Heart Jokes, Paula Tells Them in Boston. And so I decided that I would go with the uh, classic Minuteman outfit on the cover. <laughs> and I, I had a friend that was a wardrobe person, and I asked her to help me. And we went to these you know, great costume houses. And so I get this Minuteman outfit, which, by the way, according to my friend who's a wardrobe person, they didn't really dress like that. What did they wear? Well, the Minutemen didn't have uniforms. Oh. Right? The Minutemen were, I mean, I don't know at what point they did or did not begin to wear some sort of a uniform. But when you think about it, the Minutemen, you know, were farmers and stuff who grabbed pitchforks and overalls, guns, and (laughs) and ran out in the middle of the night. They, I don't think they, I don't think they had time for marching or coordinated outfits, the way the story gets told anyways. I wasn't there. But anyway, so she helped me put this thing together. And, 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 I, and I guess I said to her along the way, I said, you know, I've always wanted to wear like a zoot suit. <laughs> um, just because I think they look cool. They are. Uh, they're, they're like a, it's like a piece of art, right? And it's, they're, they're, I like the bright colors. I like the size of the suit. I, so, so I, she said, oh, you know, I can help you. So we, she, she had like a, so there at one of those wardrobe houses, I tried on a zoot suit and it was way too boxy for me when I looked in the mirror. It just looked too boxy. And so we started talking about how we would alter it in order to, I mean, not that particular one, of course, but how, so she helped me design a suit that has a zoot suit, you know, style as a jumping off place. An homage to the zoot suit. Exactly. And then we, you know, went out and chose fabric and I started having them made at an actual zoot suit maker, a place (laughs) called El Pachuco in, uh, I believe it's I think it's Fontana, California, and they do a spectacular job. And what I like about it is it's a uniform for me. You know, I put on my uniform. But it's a wonderful uniform. Well, thank you. But, you know, and I no longer stand in front of the closet going, well, how about if I wear this with this? How about if I do what? I, you know, it's just I go in and there's my uniform and I put it on and I go to work and it's a lot faster. And I think as I'm putting it on a little bit like Mr. Rogers, I'm taking on the getting into character. Well, precisely. You know, my brain starts to do what my brain needs to do in order to go tell my little jokes just the second it sees those suits. See, if the Minutemen had zoot suits and they'd slept in them, you could have finessed this from the get-go. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, it's once again history ruining my life. (laughs) I remember in our last conversation, you likened your stand-up 
to being like an orchestra conductor in terms of the way you talk to the audience. But then after you've talked with one person, you will cue someone on the other side of the house. Do you still feel like you're an orchestra conductor or has your method changed? No, it's the same. It's very, that's in, in terms of how, you know, how the audience in front of me is. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, somebody over in this corner said something or we got to know them in a conversation. And, and then maybe later in the show, you know, I, br- I bring up the horns again uh, or, you know, or I, you know, I cue the timpani. In that way, it does feel like that. Not that I've ever conducted an orchestra before, but I've certainly seen Bugs Bunny do it. He did a masterful job. And I would think your kids, like us and millions of other Americans, were introduced to classical music through Bugs Bunny. Um, no. No? They did eventually. I didn't let them watch television while they were growing up. Really? Um, yeah. You I mean, made I, them listen to public radio, I bet. They did listen to some public radio, <laughs> although they... You know, they had zero interest in anything I did on it. Um, but for my daughter, my middle daughter played the violin, you know, from the fourth grade on. And so for us, the rest of us in my family, my, me and my other two kids, the majority of our experience of classical music was going to the concerts that the schools put on. And the Santa Monica High School Orchestra mm-hmm. is really, really good. That was like our big introduction. I did one time, to the delight of my children, we had, remember um, Bugs Bunny on Broadway? Oh, yes. Well, we never saw it, but we had the CD from it. So the Barbara of Seville is on there. Yes. And I did one time set the dinner table to the Barbara of Seville, landing the last cup of milk on the exact last note. You are a conductor in the making. Yeah. So this very much impressed my children. That was probably one of the, <laughs> one of the finest things I ever did for them. The rabbit of Seville. You said that you are in fabulous health and you think it's because you are around laughter so much. I have no doubt that that has been... Um, it lifts me up on an emotional level, and of course, emotion and physical health are connected. But in the worst moments of my life, right, in the in the years where I've struggled the most or where the worst things have happened, and guess what? That's how it goes. You, you know, things happen. To be able to go on stage and talk about those things and laugh is just the greatest Because one of the things about struggling with anything, whether it's a physical problem or a mental problem, which we all have, no matter what anybody says, is feeling like you're the only one. Feeling like you're somehow put upon more than anybody else is. When you put it out in front of a group of people and they realize, oh my gosh, (laughs) everybody in the room is laughing because they all have that too. Or they're familiar with it. Or it's not so unique. That alone lifts your little tugboat. (laughs) Well, I hope you stay in fabulous health because the laughter you bring and which clearly uh, sustains you is a gift to everyone. Well, that is so nice of you. Thank you very much. Comedian Paula Poundstone speaking with me earlier this year from NPR West. Her Atlanta tour date has been rescheduled for December 5th at the Buckhead Theater. You can still find her podcast, Nobody Listens to Paula Poundstone, on any streaming app. And while you're there, subscribe to our City Lights podcast, and listen whenever it's convenient. I'm Lois Reitzes. We're taking a moment to ask for your financial support, but stay with us because we're keeping this very short so we can get back to City Lights to bring you back to arts and culture coverage as soon as possible. Please help us if you can at wabe.org slash donate. Joining us is WABE's operations manager, Kevin Rinker. 
wabe.org slash donate or 678-553-9090. Your donation right now will help us pay for what it takes to keep critical information coming to you at such a crucial time. Today, we're also fundraising with our community partner, The Giving Kitchen. So your one donation right now will cover the cost of a day's worth of utilities for a food service worker in crisis. Please give at wabe.org slash donate, or call 678-553-9090. Thanks to you, to Giving Kitchen, and to Cisco Atlanta for their help. WABE.org slash donate, or call 678-553-9090. The past two months have been unlike anything we've ever experienced, but WABE remains your constant, your daily source for news, information, and entertainment. Your donation right now will help us continue. Please give at wabe.org slash donate. Or call 678-553-9090. It's important to note that 84% of our funding comes from the Atlanta community. Hopefully that includes you. Many of our listeners typically give $15 a month, but please donate what you feel you can afford at wabe.org donate or with a call to 678-553-9090. Thanks so much to everyone who has donated. We've had a great response, but we need your help too. Please give at 678-553-9090. Or at wabe.org slash donate. A sustaining gift of $15 a month would really help us. But if it makes more sense for you, please consider a one-time gift. You know what you can afford, but the key right now, we need you. Please play a part at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thanks. City Lights is WABE's daily exploration of arts and culture. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 11 to tell you about a sensational YouTube series on birding with the Atlanta-based host Jason Ward. Our producers are Summer Evans and Ryan McFadden. Kevin Rinker is our engineer, and I'm Lois Reitzes. I would so love it if you would follow me on Twitter at L-O-I-S-R-E-I-T-Z-E-S. You can also follow us on Facebook at W-A-B-E City Lights. Today's show and the City Lights archives are at wabe.org slash citylights. Thanks for listening to member-supported WABE Atlanta. From WABE Studios, the podcast where they read stories is a new children's storytelling podcast featuring notable Atlantans and performers reading classic and contemporary children's books. Each episode contains a story meant to entertain, inspire, and inform young listeners. No screens required. The podcast where they read stories features adaptations from both chapter books and picture books. Join us at WABE.org slash stories podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. WABE. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts.